0: this opportunity to thank you for your faithful prayers and support I know um, the church has been praying a lot for Maggie um, our family we pray for three times a day before our meals uh, to make sure that we remember we've been praying for her and we'll continue to do that um, we just uh, it's great to be back the managers took us out to eat they're very patient um, they're good listeners by the way Sometimes we missionaries uh, like to do a lot of talking, uh, sharing about our, our stories about the field and people that we work with. But I just wanted to, to do that. Um, we want to invite you to, Wendy and I would like to invite you to, after the potluck, uh, to stay to see the presentation. Um, we'll explain about the changes that are being made and the field that uh, God has uh, called us to. As um, mo- those of you who know uh, me, uh, I've been involved in sports uh, in high school, college, as a boy, and um, we uh, there are some large, very large people in the uh, in the sports world that uh, when we think of now, I'm I'm uh, kind of reflecting my age here, but uh, you have like the the big basketball player like Shaquille O'Neal. Now, he's retired, you know, from playing, but he's still big. You know, he could, he's on those commercials, and, you know, you have to look up to him. He just stood there. He didn't have to jump, really. But you have uh, basketball players like that, or the former player for the Chicago Bears. Now, if you if you don't know who he was, just his, they called him the fridge, you know. Uh, but it just gives you an idea. You might move, but he's not going anywhere. Uh, he just didn't budge, so they called him the fridge, you know, and they He'd, he'd run. Uh, but today we're gonna look at uh, the life of two great giants in history. Um, in, uh, so bear with me because we're gonna go, we're gonna travel in time. In the fall of 1983, uh, I was in Los Angeles going to school. they very, I wanted, to, at, the, at, at that time I was trying to, uh, I was working, uh, studying for a degree to be a Spanish teacher, and there were very few universities, college uh, universities or colleges, Christian colleges, that offered that. Now, a lot of secular universities, but there were very few Christian colleges that, that offered that. And one uh, was in uh, Los Angeles. And when when I was there, there were two uh, there were two athletes on the track team from Nigeria. One one of those uh, athletes, his name was Christian, and the other one was Innocent. And uh, we lived in the same college housing and uh, I would see them train, they would start their training where they were stretching out right in front across the street, and uh, they would they would they were doing their training with, with the objective of making the Nigerian Olympic team and they were this was you know, this was the year before the, the LA Olympics and they wanted to train in the same city so they get used to the, the climate and the air and so forth. Uh, now Innocent ran the 400 meters and Christian threw the discus. Okay, so that's, that's kind of the background to our story. Okay, so we're going to project in, uh, uh, up in uh, the, the uh, 1984. During the Olympics, I turned on the TV and I got to see one of those athletes. I was expecting both. I, I would check the different channels to see if I could see them. And I saw Innocent win the bronze medal and the 4x400 relay for his country, and actually he was the leg man. Now, uh, I was I did track, and so what you do is you put your fastest man. You know, you've got four runners, and you put your fastest man at the end because if he has to catch up to the other teams, you know, he can catch up with the objective of catching up and being able to win. So that was really exciting. I thought, I was really impressed. You know, all right, way to go. Well, I kept looking for Christian. He never showed up. You know, they had the discus and the hammer throw and all that, and he didn't show up anywhere. I was like, "What happened? What happened to him?" I don't know. You know, I I never, I didn't know what happened to him. Well, years later, I was uh, a, a teacher at a Christian school in Okeechobee, Florida, of all places, and. Uh, one of my students, fourth grade students, was Ryan, and he actually his parents were uh, Mormons, and they were sending their their son to this uh, Christian school, and he like he really liked baseball. He he would tell me how he would go to the uh, spring training and you know get to talk to some of the players and all that, but it wasn't baseball season; it was football season. So he got out his football cards. Okay, so he's waiting for his parents to come and pick him up at school. So they're in the the room there, sitting at the tables. And I just happened to be going by. I usually didn't spend much time there. I would once in a while I would talk with the students. And I'm walking by and I stopped. Hey Ryan, how's it going? And he's got his football cards on the table, and it was actually upside down because he was on the other side of the table. And I looked at this one picture, and I'll show you what I saw on the football card. On one side, was this. And on the other side, it was something like this. Okay, Now when I saw his, his picture, I said, hey, I know that guy. Christian Okoye. So said, what in the world? I didn't even know. First of all, I didn't know he was playing football. And, and I didn't know he was a professional a football player. That was really a, a shock to me. Well, this is what had happened. He and his friend had gone out for the, the uh, Nigerian trials to see who was gonna make the, the Olympic team and there was someone on there, one of the coaches was on there that didn't like him and they kept him off of the roster. So he never went, he didn't compete, even though he should've because he and his friend, basically when they, in college at the university level, when they came back from their competition, they would just basically walk over everyone else at points because they were so good and so fast and so forth. He could throw that thing so, so far. So that was really, in, in, you know, it was not just in his life. Well, this is what happened. He went back to college. What am I going to do? He was very discouraged. The football coach said, hey, look, because he was on the uh, track team, he says, look, why don't you go out? You'll get a, I'll give you a, offer you a football scholarship. Why don't you try football? Well, when he got, actually, when he had gotten to the college, he, they, someone took him to a football game. This was before he participated. He said, man, this is a really boring sport. He was used to soccer. You know, he played soccer and some other sports, but he thought football was really boring. You, know, you, you, you got someone that goes down, and you have to wait until it starts again. Well, anyways, he said, okay, I'll try. Well, the first year, he didn't do too good. So the coach said, look, try it one more year, and if you don't make it this next year, just you know, give it up. Well, not only did he do well, but he also was drafted, after that second year, he was drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, to his friends, he was called the Gentle Giant, okay? But to his enemies, those on the other team, he was called the Nigerian Nightmare, okay? Because when he got the ball, he would go, and he was really hard to stop. But anyway, so he played a few years with them, but he played well enough that he made the Pro Bowl in two years, in 1989 and in 91. He was, the first, he was on the first team All-Pro in 1989, and he was in the second team All-Pro in 1991. Now, in 89 was his, his big year, okay? He was the AFC Offensive Player of the Year in, that, in 89 with uh, 1,480 yards, and uh, he was the NFL rushing uh, leader, yards leader that year, and he was also inducted into the Kansas City Chief Hall of Fame, so he finally was able to. He was fi- finally able to. To even though he was uh, treated unjustly, God saw to it. I, it's interesting because if you see, uh, if you see some of, I've seen some of the videos on YouTube, and uh, he would give glory to God um, when he was when he was playing football. I was that. That's really encouraging to see. So. Here's a, here's a giant that we just took a look at in the physical realm, we could say. But we're going to take a look at a spiritual uh, giant. And if you, if you would turn with me. Now, we just uh, read uh, Genesis uh, 37, 1 through 11. I'll just cover some of that. But if you would turn with me to, to Genesis chapter 37. So covering those first few verses that was read... Um, you have in verse 3 the coat now this coat had a very special significance now when I I think growing up when when I thought of the coat that Joseph was wearing you just basically have this white it looks like a white sheet with a hole in the top that he's wearing you know like you see in Sunday school class and it's got all these big bold colors that you know just red and blue and green or whatever and uh, orange or whatever it just—it doesn't really look that appealing, but it's, you know, obviously it catches your eye. I don't think that's what it looked like. I think it would be more something like a prince would wear. You Look at some of these paintings in Europe with some very ornate, uh, some of the clothing that they wore was very ornate. I think it was something more like that. It's something some prince would probably wear. I think that's what he had, and he would wear it. He, he wore it. Uh, he was very proud of that. And it represented the place of the firstborn. And you say, well, wait a minute. He wasn't the firstborn. He was, he was young. Well, Joseph took the position of the, the firstborn. And we won't go into the details, but basically because his older brother had, had sinned against the father. And we see that back in uh, chapter 35. So basically the old, oldest, his oldest brother had pretty well given up that. And so uh, he did not have the place of the firstborn. So his father gave Joseph the place of the firstborn. In fact, his father, Joseph's father, never forgot the sin that was committed against him by Reuben. And uh, when, when he's on his deathbed, Israel is, remembers this when he was giving out the blessings to his son on his deathbed in Genesis chapter 49. It says, Then Jacob called for his sons and said, Gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father, Israel. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my, my might, my first sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power. Turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel. And then he says what sin he had committed. So that, that's, that's, very, that's a very important thing when we're, when we're studying this. Let, let's continue, um, starting in verse uh, uh, 12. It says... Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem in Israel and said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brother. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here. The man answered, I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. Now they said they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. And they and say that a ferocious animal devoured him then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty but no water was in it in my family we had three brothers okay we we were three brothers so i'm the middle brother uh andy john tom and then we had a we have a younger sister okay now we didn't do a lot of fighting i was closer to my younger brother uh tom we wrestled we fought a lot but with my older brother, there wasn't much of that. My brother, my older brother wasn't a wrestling type and all that. And he didn't like to. He didn't like to fight. He didn't like to uh, wrestle. But he pretty well uh, reminded us who was in charge. <laughs> so if I ever tried to get a little thing going with him, all he had to do was hit me hard, right? Real hard right here. One time in the shoulder, and it was over with. Okay, all right, you don't want to fight. We're not going to do it. But he pretty well kept order. He was the oldest. Well, in this situation, these guys, these brothers that he had, they were so dangerous that the oldest brother, Reuben, didn't even bother. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't handle them. He could not control them. They were so dangerous that not even this oldest brother, Reuben, dared challenge them face to face. And if you look at some previous chapters, you, t- you took a look at they wiped out, basically wiped out a whole town, Okay, these guys. That's how dangerous they were. Okay? You don't mess with these guys. Not even the oldest brother had, uh, could, could control them. And it's significant, too, when we look at this passage, that the two brothers, Reuben and Judah, that we could say defended, I say in quotation marks, defended or tried to defend their brother and did not want to kill Joseph were the sons of Leah, uh, the, uh, her sister Rachel, Joseph's mother. Even though at one time they were rivals, these two women were rivals for the heart of Jacob, why would she become uh, like uh, the mother of Joseph at the time? Well, if you look at uh, previously, um, Rachel had passed away, and it's possible because they were sisters. Leah took over that role as mother for Joseph uh, Joseph and Benjamin, and they would have had a closer relationship to Leah's sons. Okay, So that's a possibility. We don't know, but that's very possible because we see the two people they are kind of going to bat from even in, in their depraved uh, level that it's, at least they're trying to help him out somewhat. And that, that's a possibility because they were young and they needed a mother figure. So Let's continue. Verse 25 says, As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will... We gain if we kill our brother and cover his blood. Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver. And it's interesting, the thing that happened at that time, we, we look at these surrounding verses, we, you see he, he, was, he was pleading, don't do this, don't leave me. And after all the years, when they meet up again in Egypt, of course, you know, they didn't know who he was at first, and, but uh, when they're starting to get scared, they're, they're in Egypt and they're starting to get scared, they had remembered, this was on their mind, and I, their, their father did not let them forget either. Because when they said, look, and they tried to distance themselves from him. They said, "This is your—is this your son's? They don't say, is this our brother? Is this your son's clothes? They tried to distance themselves because of the guilt that they had. He said, yes. But no matter what they did, they could not console him. He said he was going to go down in his grave, to his grave and with, with that sorrow. And he refused. Jacob refused to be comforted. And I don't think that he fully trusted them. He knew, he knew they had something to do with it without him actually saying it. You have in, in uh, Genesis 42, 21, they said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. He saw how distressed he was when he pleaded for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on, uh, on us. That happened at that time. In all those years, they remembered exactly what happened, exactly what they had said. And we know why, why this happened. Acts 7, 9-10 through 10 tells us the reason the brother sold Joseph. It says, because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Now if you look at... I think sometimes we forget this, um, but uh, the sons of Israel, actually, if you look at the sons of Israel, uh, they had uh, quite a few, um, there were quite a few, uh, if you look at, I don't have an overhead for this, but the sons of Jacob, you have Leah, Bilhah, Zilpah, Leah and Rachel were the mothers of these sons. Okay, That's going to cause a lot of problems, we discussed this in Sunday school. One man, one woman. That's God's design. And sometimes we mess it up with our own ideas of uh, how we think that we can make it better. But that caused a lot of problems in, in that family. And let's, let's look at these uh, verses here. In uh, verses, We're going to finish off with this it's in verse 29. It says, when Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. Okay, and so forth, and he goes back to the father. Now, what we see from this, uh, he you know they show they show their father that, and he's he's very sad about it. What we what we gather from this is one is Joseph was righteous. There are some pastors or theologians that, that say no, he was just a spoiled boy, and uh, because he was bragging about you know what had happened and the dreams that he had and so forth. But I would say. And I, I'm not of that opinion, but if Joseph was just simply a spoiled, undisciplined boy that just did whatever he felt, uh, he, whatever he felt, or whenever he felt to do it, then one, why did his father Jacob trust him with reports about his brothers? When he wanted to know what the brothers were up to, he asked Joseph. Two, why during the long walk of 72 miles from Hebron to Dothan he didn't get into trouble? Anyone of poor character or immaturity would have found something bad to do during the long journey. Take a look at his age. He, there was a lot to get into trouble. And he didn't do that going on that journey. And it was, it was a long journey, and he didn't even send a, a servant. Because we know if he would have sent a servant, the servant would have gone back to the father and said, this is what happened, this is what I saw happen. So he went all by himself, and, and his father trusted him. And two, the fact Joseph is we see that Joseph is a type of Christ in the Bible. He was rejected, think about both of them, rejected by his own people and became a sovereign rule, ruler. Saved and rescued his people, was gentle and merciful, consistently passed all the trials and humility and authority, fled to Egypt and sold for pieces of silver. And if you compare the two, basically when, when Jesus was... Uh, when, when the, the silver was paid for Jesus, basically that was the price of a slave. And it's the same that happened with Joseph when they sold Joseph the pieces of silver. We see this also in the clothing that they wore. They stripped him of his robe and threw him into the cistern, verses 23 and 24. And then with Jesus in John 19, 23, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them. Both reappeared in glory and power, rescuing their people from a sure destruction. Meanwhile, Joseph's brothers represent the world and its system, its plans, its goals, its values, and they don't represent those of God. Brothers tried to kill Joseph, but Joseph gave his life for his own people and Satan tried to kill Jesus, but Jesus gave his life. It wasn't taken, he gave it. During all of Joseph's life, we see a great contrast between his character and the character of his brothers. Joseph was a just and righteous man, and Jacob trusted him. Joseph was respectful, he was obedient, he was a trustworthy person. Joseph was proud of his his relationship with his father. And this is where we're getting getting into some areas where when we study the life of Joseph, it's not just like, well, this happened, and we're going to study it, and it's very interesting information from a historical perspective. We need to put ourselves in that that place too, and these are some things that we should have in our our own life. So he was proud of that relationship that he had with his father. In fact, he was so proud that he wore the coat he was given everywhere he went. That wasn't bragging, that was... He was proud to be his father's son. And he was proud of his relationship with God. He shared dreams that he had with all his family. Uh, Dreams in that part of the world, and especially at that time, came from God. And I know, I've heard stories about those working with Muslims in in the Middle East. And they're not charismatic, they're Baptists like we are, but God comes to these people because they're wondering... Okay, I heard the gospel, I heard this, new, this message about the Bible. Is it true? God, is it true? And God will come to them in a dream and say, it's okay, accept it. And they become saved. I, don't, I can't explain it, I don't understand it, but, but that happens. And when there was a dream, it came from God. And he was going to share it with, you don't keep it to yourself, you share it with everyone else. And that's what he did, he was proud. And he didn't care what others thought. And that is a characteristic that helped him respond in a different way than other people did, and it helped him overcome his circumstances. It kind of made him stand out from the others. And we see that Joseph had two dreams from God. In essence, he had received a personal message from God, the two dreams. This fact is very significant. Not only does it show God's approval of Joseph, but it showed that God had great plans for him in the future. It did not come from a secondary source. It came from God himself. And Joseph, what happened when he was tested? He passed. Joseph passed the test. Because he recognized God's authority and his word, and there is where he put his trust. His eyes, his attention was on God instead of himself. Contrast that with his brothers. What where were they thinking? He, he trusted in the promises of God. As Jacob's favorite. He had heard many the the many stories of how God had worked in their lives, the lives of the patriarchs, how God had called them, how he chose them, how he protected them and guided them and saved them, and the many promises about how he was going to make a great nation of them, and in this case, him. The horrible acts that Joseph's brothers had done against him was very significant. When they put Joseph in the cistern and they sold him to the Ishmaelites, it was not just something personal. I don't like him. No, it was a reprehensible act against the whole family, and it had theological implications concerning one's own faith in God. What these brothers did was so bad that years later, when the law was given, it reflected what God really thought of kidnapping. We're going to look at that real briefly. To think they did it to someone in their own family... Now, you have two passages. In uh, Exodus twenty one sixteen. I guess it would say it was you know, the basic thing, and then it goes a little bit into detail in Deuteronomy. But in Exodus 21, 16, it says, Anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death, whether the victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession. That's what God thought of it. Then it goes into detail in De- Deuteronomy 24, 7. It says, If a man be found s- stealing any of his brethren of the children of Israel, maketh merchandise of him or selleth them, then that thief shall die, and thou shalt put evil away from among you. And in this verse, God calls him. So not only is he doing that, kidnapping, he says God calls his sin stealing, and the person is called the thief. So you add all what he, that person already is, and now he calls him a thief, and he's stealing. This is the conclusion. So we need to think about how, what does this have to do with us? Okay, That's very nice. It's a very good story. And it's very, uh, it, it can motivate us and it can compel us. But how, do, how should we respond? And do you know there are 14 Josephs in the Bible? And this one really stands out, this Joseph. It's, it's interesting that in all the Bible, it doesn't say one bad thing about him. Not only do we have the passages in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. You can see in John 4, 5, Acts 7... Uh, starting verse 9, Hebrews 11, 21 and 22, and Revelation 7 8 talk about him. It doesn't say anything negative about him. And it had plenty of opportunity, but does have one negative thing about Joseph. Joseph sure had his amount of problems, but he remained faithful to God, trusting in the promises of God. And we think of other people uh, that, that that sort of thing happened to. You think of David, and all the problems he had, but he was able to get over that and be able to serve God. You think of John Mark in the New Testament and you know his first journey with Paul. It didn't really work out well, did it? He kind of abandoned their, their mission trip. and But he came back and he was able to change. He was very effective and actually Paul wanted him his help. God is preparing us for things and situations even more difficult in the future. And I always thought about that as, as a young man. I said, you know, I need to be able to handle this. I need to be able to... to uh, Uh, to get over this because God, there's going to be something in my life that's going to be even more difficult. And God is preparing me for the future. So the question is not if something's going to happen, right? But when problems in life come, what are we going to do? And that's what we have to figure out. What are we going to do when those problems come? And we have two decisions. Basically, we can let it overcome us or we can overcome that. So what matters is not what happens to it what what matters is how we respond to those things that happen in our life are we the same person after the trial or are we worse that's a decision that we make we can't always decide what happens to us we must look beyond our circumstances not allow that they stay in our path not allow that they get between us and god and the plan that he has for us nor our desire to serve jesus We should always be vigilant and remember that this is not the end of the story. Now, when I say this, brothers and sisters, it's not a mantra that we just repeat over and over again saying, everything's okay, everything's okay, everything's okay. And if we just repeat it enough times, then everything's going to be okay. That's not what we're talking about. That magically that's going to come to pass because we repeat it enough times. Instead, we are talking about a complete faith in the promises of God in the Bible and in his purposes. I think there are a lot of Christians or members in our churches that fall spiritually because they do not have a close relationship with God. And, but we can have this if we read the Bible, if we pray and we maintain the health of our spiritual lives through regular church attendance. And I, that's what I'm talking I'm talking to the choir here. This is very important. This isn't just something we add to our Christian lives. And I, I'm going to finish with this. When Jacob blessed his sons. This is what he had to say about Joseph, how he stood out. In Genesis 49, 22, Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring, whose branches climb over a wall. With bitterness, archers attack him. They shot at him with hostility, but his bow remained steady. His strong arm stayed limber. Because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of your father's God who helps you, because of the Almighty who blesses you with blessings of the skies above, blessings of the deep springs below, blessings of the breast and womb. Your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains, but the bounty of the age old hills. Let all these rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince among his brothers. And then, in, uh, back in uh, Genesis forty-five four, four 4 through 8, this is Joseph's perspective of what happened. It says, then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Now he could have done anything here. He could have said anything he wanted to at this point. This is what he says. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been a famine in the land. For the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. And when things happen in our lives, that is exactly the attitude that we should have as well. Let's, uh, let's uh, bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this passage and how in the life of Joseph and his response to the things that happened in his life, and there were horrible things where he was separated from family, who was separated from everything that he knew. But uh, he held on to the, uh, the testimony of his, uh, his father and his grandfather and the word of God. We just pray that you'll help us to do that in ours too, that we'll be ready. We pray that you will uh, bless the pastor and his family in a special way at this moment, that you'll put your hand on Maggie and uh, that you will work out all the details. We have faith that you can heal her. We have faith that you will work in her body. Please give her strength, help her to recover from the surgery, keep her from any infections, and we just pray that you will work out. Help the pastor and his wife each and every day. I pray that you will bless this church, that you will bless Ambassador, that they will be a light and a salt here in this community that many will come to know you as a result of of their work and that uh, they will be able to to disciple and, and teach the people that come here. In Jesus' name, amen.